Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, live again from Montana. Two of our favorites are here on the program with us today. Adam Carolla coming up just a bit later in the show, but we begin today with the latest on Ukraine and Russia with Victor Davis Hansen. Victor, thank you so much for being back. Um, let's let's get right into it and talk about where we are right now. You had an amazing piece out recently about our green immoralists and the reaction in particular to what's happening in Ukraine from John Kerry, who never fails to disappoint when it comes to his reactions to world events. He has one pair of glasses through which he sees everything, even the murder of hundreds and thousands of people on the Ukraine and the Russian sides, respectively, in Ukraine. Your thoughts on him? Well, you remember during the Iraq war, he said, uh, you better go to college and do well in high school and get to college or you're going to end up in Iraq. That was right when we were trying to conduct the surge and we have all these brave people fighting and he act as if they were the lo losers in the global race. But he's, he's tone deaf to people that don't have his money and influence and status. And it shows you that he's emblematic of the whole green movement. I mean, they're not taking any culpability for shutting down all of these assets that we have from nuclear power to pipelines, to oil fields, to gas and oil, to job warning lending agencies, not to, to help finance um, frackers and horizontal drillers. And, and the result of that was about 2 million barrels less, but more importantly, we had the option uh, in the last administration to go up to three more million barrels. So it might've been four or five net that we lost. And they don't have a exegesis for it, Megan. They can't say, well, Iran or Venezuela or Saudi Arabia or, or Putin, they produce oil far more ecologically sound than we do. Therefore, we would prefer that they drill it since we're in a global village and we all share the same heat heating up atmosphere. Or they can't say, well, we don't really want the middle class to get good wages. We'd rather have them do it. Or we would like to have less strategic options abroad. We want to be more dependent on these illiberal. So I can't figure it out. And then when you add into the matrix, the Biden administration dropped the sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which was enriching Russia. But there was another alternative that was in the works, the East Mediterranean pipeline from Cyprus. Greece and Israel, and unlike the Nord Stream, it was our allies who were going to profit from it, and we could depend on to supply Southern Europe with natural gas. And yet, 
Biden did his all to stop that and cancel it basically by sheer force of U.S. influence. So mm-hmm. it's kind of incoherent, chaotic. I don't know how you'd call our uh, energy policy other than we have empowered Vladimir Putin. It's so confusing to watch the way they handle this, right? You pointed out in your piece, uh, John Kerry responds. This is how you phrased it. Um, Climate change envoy, multimillionaire and private jet owning John Kerry laments that Russian President Vladimir Putin might no longer remain his partner in reducing global warming. Quote, you're going to lose people's focus, Kerry frets. Quote, you're going to lose big country attention because they will be diverted. And I think it could have a damaging impact. Impact? You ask, what does he mean by impact? What, like, are we solely focused right now on green energy concerns as people are dying in Ukraine? I mean, that's where his head is. And it's, it is more evidence that the green energy thing is religion for these guys. Even back at home, they, they continue to tout the solar panels and the windmills rather than talk about drilling to solve our inflating prices, especially at the pump. Yeah, I think it's a psychological uh, kind of like medieval penance. They feel that the more they can be in the abstract, uh, morally green or superior to the deplorable classes, the more they can enjoy their lifestyle by coastal lifestyles without, you know, worry about. And the second thing is they have no contact with the middle class. So, you know, I'm here in Fresno County and I go to the service stations and now they've lowered the hundred dollar limit in California to seventy five dollars. And if some of these guys are very poor, they're landscapers or they're field tractor drivers and they drive 40, 50 miles, they have 20 gallon pickup. They can't even fill their gas. Seventy five dollars doesn't do it. So, you know, and so many of these people's pickups. So they go around from service station to service station, hopping around to find gas. But that's a world away from. Uh, you know, somebody in Palo Alto where I work. And and I think that's a lot of it. They're not confronted with the ramifications of their own ideology and, and they don't really care. When, when Biden said this was Putin's inflation and this is Putin's gas, and I'm thinking if that were true, why a month ago or even, you know, three and a half weeks ago, were you blaming inflation? He was blaming on inflation on Trump. He was blaming it on it was just an elite. It was just going to be transitory. He said it was an elite fixation, exercise bike, supply shortages. So that kind of damns his own explanation that he he understood that before Putin went into Ukraine, he was being criticized for inflation. He was looking for any excuse he could to fob it off on somebody else. And then suddenly he says, forget all of those people. They weren't really the culpable ones. It, not, it was now Trump that post facto did all this, you know, and a lot of people, as you know, Megan, when we say 7.9 annualized inflation in February, but you look at the stuff of life, gas, cars, houses, lumber, meat, and you look at those prices, they're up 10 to 20 to 30% per year. So this, I think if we use the old consumer price index of the 1970s, this thing could be 15%. That's, I mean, that's, eye popping and obviously election losing. That's what they that's what they need to be worried about. I'm not sure what they're worried about right now, whether they think any of this helps or hurts him in the midterms, whether that's guiding any of his be- behavior. But something you said reminded me of something that we haven't yet discussed on the show which, about our elites and, you know, just how s- the snobbery when it comes to um, gas prices, inflation, and it is from the top on down in the Democratic Party, as evidenced last week by Stephen Colbert. 
who was out on the set bragging about how he would be willing to pay $15 a gallon because he drives a Tesla. (laughs) So he doesn't have to worry like, you know, the losers, the rest of the losers out there who have gas fueled automobiles uh, about these issues. And ha ha ha, isn't that so funny? And isn't he so lucky? It's like, you know what? Very few people in America can afford a Tesla. Even if they could get one, they couldn't afford it. And it's no laughing matter for them as these as these prices go up to these levels. Yeah, I mean, here out in Central California, there's a waiting list of about eight months and there's a markup to about $70,000 for the initial uh, market over the market. You know, but what I'm getting at is that what's happening out here in the rural areas of California, the poor areas, Megan, there's these kind of ad hoc car marts where people just sort of scrounge around and they get used cars and they put them in a chain link fence behind their uh, corner store or gas station and they get they're sold out immediately. But these are cars that get, I don't know, 16 miles of the gallon because poor people can't afford a car that's economical. And so people are trying to make do, but at five, and here the, the price of gas is five ninety a gallon and diesel fuel six ten today. Yeah. And uh, so these people have no, it's not that they don't have any experience with the other, the so-called other, but they don't want to have any experience. And this is highly ironic because we've been lectured for 50 years that the Democratic Party was the party of working people, but actually it's the party of the wealthy zip codes, Silicon Valley, Hollywood, professional sports, corporations, Wall Street. It's a party of the very poor subsidized and the upper, upper middle classes and wealthy that don't really care about taxes or regulations because they always have ways of getting around them. Mm-hmm. Well, you point out that uh, in the meantime, what are what are we doing back at home? We're, we're not untapped or tapping into Alaska's oil reserves or elsewhere. We're going begging to the Saudis, to Venezuela, to Iran. I mean, it's insane, right? And, and these are it all is. regimes it, that we demonized, Joe Biden demonized, that have, some of which we're sanctioning right now. Um, and now suddenly they're fair game. It's totally fine to deal with them. You know, I, I went through all the you know, column before I went through all the bad things that can happen when we're doing what we're doing. So then I said to myself, well, because they're doing these the bad things, what maybe they're naive or delusional. What are the good things they think accrues from that? And all I could think of was two things. They're going to make energy so expensive that they'll realize, so remember energy secretary under Obama, Stephen Chu's dream that he wanted gas to be the same price as it was in Europe. I think it was $9 a gallon. It's getting close. And therefore, people would drive less or they believe that they want to be the moral superiors of the rest of the world and say, we don't touch that filthy fuel that you drill, but we quietly want you to get your hands filthy and send the filthy fuel so that we could put it in our filthy cars for a while and win the midterm elections. I don't know. What, that's sort of what they're talking talking or thinking about, because otherwise it makes no sense. And uh, boy, when you look at uh, oil wells, and we still have them in California, you go down to Elk Hills or, the, or Bakersfield area, or you look at offshore for all the characters. It, it, it's very careful. The people that work on there are so much more careful than you see in the Middle East or in Russia. And so they should be saying every barrel that is produced under Western auspices comes out of the ground with less environmental damage than it does when we import it and subsidize it 
from Venezuela or Iran or, or Russia or the Middle East. Mm-hmm. What, what, can we talk about the Iran deal for one second? Because this is why I say earlier, our, our policies just seem a little crazy right now. Right now, they do. We're, we're unleashing all these harsh sanctions against Vladimir Putin, trying to hurt him as much as we can. But we're using the Russians to try to get this Iran nuclear deal done. <laughs> There are backdoor allies over there. Pay no attention to what we're doing to you over here in the front door. And then with Iran, we're going to them saying, could you help us out on the oil you know, front? Never mind that we have plenty of reserves here. We don't need Iran. But we're going to them saying, could you help us out? That would really be great. Thanks so much. Um, meanwhile, sanctioning them and trying to get them, I guess, to help us out with the Russians. It makes no yeah. sense. I don't know yeah, what makes- we're doing. Does it make any sense to you? No, it doesn't. Other than there was a crackpot dream, remember, in the Obama administration. And the point man on that was the deputy national security advisor, Ben Rhodes. He was the one famously who said, I created an echo chamber and these 20 something reporters know nothing and bragging about how he just gave them these false talking points that they reverberated in the media. But I think the idea was among the Obama Biden administration was that they wanted to create a antithesis to the Sunni Arab dominance that they felt was somehow illiberal. It is illiberal in many ways in Saudi Arabia. And they thought that they had very naive ideas about the Iranian revolutionary regime, but nevertheless, they thought it was revolutionary and they were Shia and they were Persians and they could have a Persian Shia crescent that would include Syria and Lebanon and go all the way to the Mediterranean. And therefore it would balance off Israel, it would balance off the Arab Sunni states, and the United States would be the broker and say, now, on the one hand, you guys, and on the other hand, these guys, rather than be allied with people they didn't like, and that was the Obama administration, Biden, they don't like Israel, and they don't like the moderate Arab world. That's the only thing I can think of, but it's it's a pretty big wage to pay because we're using the Russians, and the Russians are telling the Iranians, don't make a deal unless... Uh, you can include us as being exempt along with you for our yeoman service from sanctions. So the Russians are, gonna, are saying, oh, if we're going to cut this favorable deal to the Iranians, at least you could, and you're not going to embargo their oil, then you're not going embargo, to embargo, embargo our oil either. Or we're not going to participate. And then, of course, in the middle of all this, they send missiles into Orbil and say to us, oh, maybe you have an embassy going in there, or maybe this was uh, because of an Israeli strike. And so it's almost that all these people that were bad actors, if I could use that overused term, North Korea, Iran, Putin, they were all in within the parameters, within the the sidelines that we had, we didn't have them sort of contained. And North Korea was not sending missiles over Japan or or South Korea anymore. And Iran, we got out of that deal. We killed General Soleimani. We had killed Baghdadi, destroyed ISIS. They understood that we were unpredictable and were capable of anything. And they were sort of behaved after we got out of Iran. And the sanctions were killing them. And the same was true with Putin. And then... We, I think, I don't think, Megan, we've really fully digested how bad Afghanistan was. That sent a message to all those players that we are uh, not going to deter you, that we have no confidence ourselves, that we've just gone through a woke military reform movement and we got out of Afghanistan. And to this day, we gave more 
arms to the Taliban terrorists, about $80 billion, according to some reports, than all of the West, NATO, and the United States has given to Ukraine. And that, that makes an impression on people. And when you add in Joe Biden's cognitive challenges or the fact that he requested not too long ago for Vladimir Putin to stop hacking in terms of, well, if you're going to hack, let's put these 16 quote unquote entities off the hacking list right, rather than yeah. stop it entirely. So, and then begging Putin to, to pump oil right before he, he went into Ukraine, he added it all up. And I guess you can say that deterrence is very hard to create and maintain. It takes years and you can lose it. You can lose it in weeks and we've lost it. That is such a good point, right? Things were just, they weren't perfect, but they were steadier. They were more stable. Yeah. We weren't dealing with so many uh, international crises. And, no, we and that, th and that there's was, a very strong argument that it's directly linked to weakness in the American it leadership. Is. I, I think we just couldn't, we just couldn't, we being the bipartisan establishment, not that you and I are a part of it, but they just could not stomach the idea that Donald Trump and uncouth and crude as they thought he was understood classical strategy going all the way back to, you know, Machiavelli or Sun Tzu or Aeneas Tacticus that always said when you're dealing with a deadly adversary, unpredictability, uh, bouts of restlessness, uh, even crude language tempered with praise of your enemy, all of that keeps someone off the guard, their guard. But predictability, serial habituality, and that's what Biden is. They they know he's not. You know what he's doing now? He's just saying all the things he's not going to do. I'm not going to have a no-fly. I don't think we should have a no-fly zone either, but I wouldn't tell him that. I don't think we should send warthogs in. I wouldn't tell him that. I'm not sure I'd even exchange the planes and uh, because and I wouldn't tell him that. I would send in Patriot batteries so they could get back air parity, but I wouldn't tell him that. But he tells him almost everything he's not going to do, and that makes Putin assured that he will do those things. Meanwhile, we have news this week that uh, there was a, a missile strike near the U.S. consulate in northern Iraq, courtesy, we're told, of the Iranians. So once again, and, and was that retribution for Soleimani? Did they wait until Trump was out of office to do something, some saber rattling? You know, the old America, the one I grew up in, wouldn't have it wouldn't have happened <laughs> under President Reagan. I don't think it would have happened, right, that they would have been so provocative towards us by bombing close to our consulate. It's they're trying to see how much they can get away with from the Iranians to the Russians. And the list will only grow. I mean, if Iran actually gets a nuke, right, then what? If if our message to the world is basically if you're a nuclear power, you can get away with a lot because that's what we're saying to Vladimir Putin right now. You know, you can get away. And I'm not advocating we go in, you know, with with helicopters or no fly, no fly zone, et cetera. But we've been so weak with respect to him. And we say, well, he's got a nuclear arsenal. Well, if Iran, has, then what? What are they going to do? And what are we going to do in response? Things are getting less and less safe by the minute. I think part of that, what you're talking about, is that people in the United States and the West in general have this very arrogant view of themselves, that they've somehow transcended ancient laws of deterrence, good and evil, how you stop aggressors that we, I don't know whether it's our technology or we have Snapchat or Twitter or Facebook or the UN, but whatever the delusion is, we say things that are just incredible. John Kerry is always saying, we're not going to go back to the 20th century. Well, did human nature change suddenly, John, in the 21st century? 
suddenly got better people. You lose your wallet in Manhattan in 2022 and people uh, give it back to you now and they didn't do it 40 years ago. I don't think so. And so human nature is constant and you have to study it. And it's not necessarily an optimistic appraisal when you study human nature, but you can control it. And so when you start to make fun of deterrence or disarm or allow NATO not to pay their 2% or predictably talk about how you're going to have a pride flag in Afghanistan or George Floyd mural and have all of this, uh, it is a, a green woke imperialism, but it, unlike the old fashioned and British imperialism, it lacks any force behind it. We just lecture people and sermonize them, but we don't have any, we can't make up any any force to back up our ideology. Not that I agree with that ideology, but we suffer the wages of being ridiculous and weak at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so until we establish, we reestablish deterrence, and that would be defined as, you know, 4% of our military budget, no more woke waste uh, workshops, promotion on the base of race and gender, and, and go back to military readiness as the prime criteria of promotion, enlistment, uh, weaponry, make our NATO allies be a full partner, uh, become energy independent, and work with Japan, Australia, South Korea, Taiwan in a way that China doesn't like. And then I think we could restore deterrence. But we've done every single thing opposite of that. And it's no surprise that we've lost it. It's going to be very dangerous to, re it's always very dangerous to reestablish deterrence because you have no credibility. It's like somebody lies, 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 or weak, weak, weak to a person. And then suddenly they say, I'm going to lie no more to you. I'm going to be a good person. And you think, okay, let's mm -hmm. see. I want to see it. I don't want to hear about it. Mm -hmm. Well, and you've pointed out too, it's that when you talk about uh, the woke problem in the military, I mean, of course it's in the country as well. And that the country has been in disarray for the better part of Joe Biden's presidency. And to some extent before that, but largely during the first year of his presidency with uh, these woke policies that are dividing the country in, in two. And this faction on the left existed before Joe Biden, but he's caving to them and a country that's focused on na naval gazing as opposed it to is. what it means it to be an American. The things that bring us together, building up a strong military, understanding who we are and our place in the world. We haven't been doing any of that. It's Putin's dream the way we've been behaving the past year plus. It is. That's a very good point because, you know, a civilization survives or declines on the basis of about four or five things. One is their education system. Another is whether they have fuel. Another is whether they have food. Another is whether they have security. And another is whether they have unity. And when you look at the politicalization and weaponization of our schools from the Virginia chaos and that's a school board uh, meeting all the way up to the university, when you look at wheat now is at the highest in real dollars it's been in, I think, 50 years. And it's getting higher and higher. You take Ukraine off the market and you triple the price of nitrogen and, um, and base for fertilizers that require fossil fuels, and you look at our woke military, and you're really destroying the sinews of a civilization that count. And the only good thing that's come out of this, it's made all of these other things, Hannah Jones, Nick, um, her- Ibram Kendi. Yeah, Kendi, all of their PC, woke, little diatribe Zoom conferences about whether it's 1619 or 1776. These are just psychodramas, melodramas. They have no- there's nothing to them or when 
you know, Whoopi Goldberg gets on and says basically the Holocaust was a bunch of white people killing white people. Or Hannah Nicole Jones says something to that effect about Ukraine, or she doesn't even know when the Civil War. These are all things that we were focused on, and they mean nothing because the existential elements of life are, do we have enough wheat, flour to eat our bread this year? Can we afford gas and and oil? Uh, Can we drive our car? Can we heat our home? Can we cool them in the summer? Can we count on our military to be very effective fighters to protect us? Can we send our kids to school without being Sovietly indoctrinated? And that's a big question mark. And I really look back, you know, it's so funny. This generation is so critical of these supposedly racist and sexist forebearers of ours. But these people came out of the Depression, Megan. They had nothing. And yet they bequeathed to us when we were all growing up. You could get gas at affordable price. You could get electricity at affordable price. The United States did not have to worry about, you know, an unsecure border. The United States was respected abroad. So before we make fun of prior generations, we should take a look in the mirror, because I think this generation has done more damage to this country than any generation in memory. You know, I almost never cite this person because she's an absolute moron and doesn't really deserve our attention. But there is a woman who hosts a show on MSNBC over the weekend cross is her last name she sees everybody as racist she's a black woman she's i mean everybody's a racist according to this woman but she actually was railing this week about the fact that kamala harris went to poland because poland is full of white supremacists okay that's this woman has a show a national cable show on msnbc and thinks the point right now is why is the vice president in poland because there are a lot of white supremacists according to her in poland I, you know, I, get, I heard that. I got really angry because these people are so arrogant and they're so ignorant. Poland was created and destroyed four times in the last two centuries. During World War II, Hitler killed three million and a half Jews on Polish soil, and he killed a million Poles on uh, Polish soil. And after fighting the Germans and losing 60,000 people in September 1939, they turned around and they fought the Soviets came in and helped Hitler and they lost another 40,000. They got 20,000 officers killed, executed by Soviets in the Caitlin Force. And then it was all over. And all of Western Europe had freedom. We pretty much cut a deal with Stalin and said, sorry, you're not quite where we are that we can protect you. So you're going to be in the Soviet orbit. Then they endured 50 years of the Warsaw Pact. They have suffered more than that host could ever imagine. You know, know, that's another thing, not to get off topic, but so many people that say they're marginalized, they grew up in in the era. I'm not saying that there is not discrimination, but they didn't grow up in the era of Jim Crow or slavery, or they grew up in the era, era of affirmative action. And they have some, we created this last 30 years as oppressive and everybody uh, doesn't suffer like they do. And the Poles are these white people. They have no idea what Poland has suffered. It, it, it's one of the great tragedies in world history. And to say that about the Poles is really callous. Well, it's like Joy Reid, who's who's out there saying we're only interested in Ukraine because they have white skin and she, too. So she doesn't care about these, I guess, Ukrainian women in the in the maternity hospital being killed because they're white, um, who make absolutely no money at all. But she makes seven figures a year, went to Harvard. And we're supposed to look at her as oppressed and care about her complaints about our country. 
But as soon as we look at Ukraine and have some sympathy for what we're seeing, some empathy, we're racists because we only care because they're white. I can tell you that living in a Mexican-American community, that this entire obsession with race is being um, replaced by class. That a lot, I think 50% of the Mexican-American vote will go conservative. And I think a lot of people are saying, you know what, I have more affinity with people who work like I do than people who are black or brown or, or white, what, if they match my particular racial matrix that are very in this woke elite that run the country. And so I think that we're going to see people say to people like Joy Reid, you're an elite. I don't care what color you are. You're an right. arrogant elite. You're a snob. You're condescending. And that could apply to a poor black person, a poor brown person, but also a poor white person. You've had far more privilege in your 10 years on, on the screen than a forklift driver in Tulare who happens to be poor white product of the Oklahoma diaspora. So I think we need to get back to that and bring reality. To, and uh, what I don't understand, just to get off on race very quickly, is that in the news, just every week, but this week it was an African-American person threw down a, old, a retired nurse down the steps and then threw her down again. And then we had another African-American young man uh, beat up 120 times, hit an Asian-American elderly woman. Yeah. And I don't have any problem not talking about these as emblematic of race, but they, they in Black Lives Matter and others see every single r racial incident as race. Even when it's not, whether it's Kyle Riddlehouse, it's not, but they they ignore Waukesha, which was. So my point is, at some point, if somebody says white privilege, white privilege, and collectively generalizes and stereotypes an entire 240 million people, somebody else is going to say, okay, so individuals uh, are representative of group values. When or Joy Reid or Al Sharpton say to the young black male urban community, you've got to stop killing each other mm -hmm. and your rates of interracial violence are about four times more likely that you're the perpetrator than the victim, even though you make up 15% of the population. And of course, to say what I just said is considered racist, but this everybody is, is thinking Glenn Lowry that. has been saying this. Glenn Lowry, yes, brilliant, you know, black professor Brown. Absolutely. He's been making this point over and over saying, could we just not start this? Because we're not going to like where this goes. This is not the not way to run. argue for, you know, equality or equity, what these Black Lives Matter activists claim to want. So, you know, you're you're in very good company in making the point. I, I think it's just suicidal for people to say that I have no individuality. I'm just a small tessera and a big racial mosaic. And then if people do that, then everything in that mosaic is culpable and can be criticized as it represents you know, a group mentality, because that's what they're doing with other groups. But they never think it's going to reverberate back on them. And it used to in a racist country that we were in the 40s mm -hmm. and 50s. That's what we wanted to get away with by saying right. all blacks are the same. And we got over that. And now we're going to we're kind of saying, well, all whites are the same. They have to confess their privilege. But boy, that's going to boomerang and we're going to go back and it's not going to be good. Yep. And everybody's it's, it's afraid to say something. But I, I think finally the sheer weight of these examples of these terrible attacks, especially on Asian Americans, and we're not able to say that you look at the statistics in particular cities, they're preponderantly African-American males attacking female Asians. 
And it's not a good thing to just keep quiet about it. Yeah, you can't keep quiet about it. And, and it has ramifications, as we just discussed, domestically, internationally, not to mention it's just wrong. So you have to speak up no matter what they say, no matter what they call you. You'll be in good company when they call you the terrible names because there's plenty who they've unleashed on. I don't care about what this cross woman says on the weekends, um, but she's fun to make fun of. All right, listen, Victor, uh, it's always a pleasure. I'm so glad you were here. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, Megan. Coming up, Adam Carolla is here. Don't miss that. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Always have a good time with our pal Adam Carolla, host of The Adam Carolla Show, as well as host of Truth Yeller on The Daily Wire. Love that. Welcome back, Adam. Good to have you. Good to see you, Megan. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm in my car, L.A. traffic, daughter's doctor appointment <laughs> this morning. So we're flying by the seat of our pants. Oh, you, if you are going to watch this later to the audience, you've got to see this because Adam's literally showing us himself driving. His poor daughter got roped into this. <laughs> Sweetheart, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, so much to go over, and I'm very glad you're here. Can we just start? Let's start start with sports, okay? Because Tom Brady um, had a fake retirement, as it turned out. And um, I said to my husband, Doug, this reminds me of when someone throws their own funeral before they die, just so that they get to hear all the nice things about themselves you know, before they actually exit screen left. And so what do you make of the fact that he fake retired? I don't know. It feels, it, it feels kind of un Tom Brady, like Tom Brady stands for so much integrity. And this feels like the opposite of that. Like this, this is something Cher would do, you know, retire, you know, have a farewell concert tour for 11 years in a row. Right. So this is much more Cher than it is Tom Brady. Well, I love it because it's like Giselle got blamed when he retired saying it's her fault. You know, they, they called her Yoko Ono, that kind of thing. And now that he's going to play again, People are like, he play, He spent two months at home with his wife and kids and was like, forget this. I'm going back to work. You can't win. Well, how can it, first off, you know, Yoko got with John Lennon and the Beatles broke up 10 minutes later. This guy's put in 23 seasons. How could she possibly be the Brazilian Yoko? And secondly, if he did leave football to spend more time with Giselle and you can't understand that there's something wrong with you. It's not it's not Tom Brady that has the problem. Also, they're living in a 13,000 square foot home. If you don't want to see your wife every minute of every day, you can just go to the racquetball court and drink a beer. 
It's a good point. You got you got options. Well, it'll be exciting to see him come back and hopefully his last game, if it's this next season, will be a winning game. Um, that's probably right. I think that the last game of this past season was a losing game. Um, okay, so let's let's keep it in the world of sports because something's going on with Kyrie Irving. The, something weird. I mean, th- basically, Kyrie Irving is allowed to watch the games of his own team as a fan, but he cannot play in the games because he's considered a New York City worker. He's his workplace is in New York City, the Brooklyn Nets. Right. Now, is he is he New Brooklyn Nets? Yes. Okay, he's Brooklyn Nets. And so since he hasn't been vaccinated, he's not allowed to play inside of that arena. But if he wanted to attend as a fan, that would be no problem because he's not a worker, even if he's not vaccinated. This is the boneheaded place that our weird vaccine rules have gotten us. And um, I guess Kevin Durant, who's also a basketball player for the Brooklyn Nets, said Mayor Adams is basically just looking for some attention because this looks so stupid uh, and absurd. Uh, Here's here's Kevin Durant defending Kyrie Irving. At this point now, somebody's trying to make a statement or a point um, to flex their authority. but, you know, everybody out here looking for attention, and that's what I feel like the the mayor wants right now, some attention, you know. Um, but he'll figure it out soon. He better. You know, people didn't understand what was going on, but now it just looks stupid. So hopefully, Eric, you, you got to figure this out. Yeah, you got to figure this out. What do you think of it? Sorry, just hit a pothole. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, nothing is consistent about this entire COVID era, right? You know, wear your mask in the airport, wear it in the plane. Here's some Fiesta Mix. Go ahead and take your mask off while you eat the Fiesta Mix. Now put your mask back on. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You need to get vaccinated, even though I'm vaccinated, and you need to get vaccinated to protect you from me or me from you. It's all been one circle talk. And I have a theory behind the things that don't make sense, Hmm. which is to say, if you want to control somebody and you want to exact your power and authority over somebody, ask him to do things that make sense. That's not really you using your power and authority. So, you know, when the state says you need to wear your seatbelt when you're operating your motor vehicle, that that's authority, but it also lives in some reality and it makes sense and it doesn't make them dictators. But if the state says when you're walking in your neighborhood and you pass a flagpole, you have to circle it three times before you can go on, then that's true authority. It doesn't make sense. And what they're doing in the states that want the most power is the things that make the least sense because it means they have the most dominion over their populace. Mm-hmm. Right. This makes absolutely no sense. And this is actually kind of a great case because it shows how nonsensical it is. Because if you're not on, on the Brooklyn Nets and you go to play at this arena and you see Kyrie Irving sitting on the bench because he can't play because he's, he's an employee in New York City, he's sitting on the bench. And let's say you're an unvaccinated player from some other team outside of New York City. You're allowed to play that. That's OK. The, the New York City rule says players from other teams that don't work in New York City full time 
that they're okay coming into the arena. But if you happen to be, so it's absurd, right? The unvaccinated, if he has like a purple jersey on, he can play, but not Kyrie Irving because he technically works in New York City. Well, I was just watching the Ivy League basketball uh, playoffs the uh, last weekend, and everyone in the stands was wearing a mask. Everyone on the bench was wearing a mask. The refs were wearing a mask. But the players, the ones spitting and grunting and sweating on each other, weren't wearing masks. It's all theater. I mean, they closed down outdoor dining in Los Angeles. They closed down the parks. They they bulldozed the skate park so the kids couldn't skateboard outside. They took down the nets at the beach for outdoor volleyball, vitamin D, exercise, the best thing you could do for COVID. None of it made any sense. This is just the last of the part that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And in, in in LA, I'm sure you know, they're, they've just announced that the mask mandate for the kids is staying up and operable until the end of the year. They're not taking it down. Yes. Thank you, L.A. Unified School District. And thank you, teachers unions. They're a bunch of cowards. And here's the other thing, too, and hypocrites. And there is no science to what they're doing. But I want you to remember this phrase, Megan, because you say the kids, the kids, the kids, the mask. Why? 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 Why can the adults go anywhere or why? You can go maskless in a movie theater, an arena, concert event, Trader Joe's. Why Why the kids? And why the emphasis on the kids? This hasn't been dangerous for kids. We've known this. This kills sick people, old people, obese people, comorbidity people. It doesn't ostensibly affect kids. They're, they're in the safest category. So why drilling down on the kids, why the constant conversation about the category of people this ostensibly doesn't affect. Well, just remember this phrase, Megan, crate training. You cannot train a dog when it's middle age. You got to get them when they're puppies and get them trained up and into that crate. And that's what we're doing with kids because this will, this will not be the last emergency and it'll not be the last time the government and the governor and the mayor need to exact their power. And so let's get the kids into the crate. Let's get them coached up and then they'll be ours. We can do whatever we want with them after that. They'll listen to anything. You're right. They'll be good subjects. That's why, you know, it was important, I think, during this pandemic as it rolled on and on to sort of speak to your children about how this is absurd, how it is a time to fight. It crossed over from a time to comply and to see what's what at the very beginning, which everyone did. The whole country did that willingly. People lost entire businesses out of concern for others. And because they were going to be compliant, not just the one jerk who said, I'm doing it. And then bit by bit, people got to their the end of their rope or their breaking point early, you know, earlier than others. But eventually, most of the country, even Democrats, got to the point of realizing this is nonsense and it's it's a time to fight. Um, OK, let's talk about uh, in the world of sports still Naomi Osaka. My old pal Naomi Osaka is making headlines again. So she played at the Indian Wells uh, tournament, which is out by you. Right? This is in California. So I think Palm Springs by there. And uh, lo and behold, Adam, I mean, you're, you're a stand-up comedian. You ever get heckled? Anybody ever yell anything not nice at you? Yeah, this is the longest I've actually ever went speaking in front of my daughter without her heckling me. <laughs> she's got to step it up. Oh, wait, she, got a, 
she just picked, she pulled a tomato out of her backpack. We may have an issue here. <laughs> well, most of us in the public eye, whether we're news journalists or uh, comedians or professional athletes, have had to face a heckler a time or two. And uh, one person in the stands at Indian Wells yelled out at Naomi Osaka, you suck. So what did she do? Did she keep playing? Did she, you know, was she the consummate professional? No. She went over to the umpire and asked if she could have the microphone. This is in the middle of the match to address the heckler. So the umpire says, you got to be out of your mind. No, you are not getting the microphone to try to manage a heckler in the middle of a match and sway the crowd basically over to your side in the middle of this match, which would not be fair to your opponent. So, no, you can go back to the court and play the game. And that's that. So she did. She went back. She played the game and she lost. Um, and the she went back and wanted to try again and said, I, I lost the match, but I want to speak. And at this point, they gave it to her. And so she goes on about how the reason it was so upsetting to her is because she had just watched, I don't know if it was a Netflix special or the movie about Serena and, Ve and Venus, and it was at Indian Wells 20 plus years ago that they were heckled, Venus and Serena and their dad, and, you know, it really affected her. And, you know, she doesn't want to be heckled at Indian Wells, and it was very emotional for her. Meanwhile, it's like, okay, what happened with Venus and Serena had absolutely nothing to do with you. Absolutely nothing to do with you. It was if something that happened you know, as I say, two decades ago in which Venus claimed she was injured and couldn't play Serena in the semifinals match. And the crowd was mad because they believed that the dad, the controlling dad had orchestrated it so that Serena could be guaranteed a spot in the finals. And like it was basically Venus letting her sister shine, you know, move on, have them. And the fan, I don't know whether it's true or not, but the fans believed it. And that's why they booed them. And Serena later came out and said, oh, it was it was like a lynching. All these older white people. Uh, you know, rich people yelling down at me and my sister and booing. And they refused to play there for some, I don't know, a decade plus as a result, the, the sisters. Anyway, Naomi Osaka decides to launch in this big thing about trying to compare one person yelling, you suck, to that in tears and blah. And to me, Adam, it's like even Nadal came out, Rafa Nadal, and was like, look, I have sympathy for her. But the players have to be ready for hecklers. It's part of being a professional athlete. Or comedian, etc. Your thoughts? Well, you know, if you're going to put yourself out there, then you're putting yourself out there. You're doing what you do in front of a crowd. Again, you know, comedians, singers, performers, tennis players, golfers, like whatever that is. the The problem is we need to, and I'm just going to drop my daughter off now and continue my journey with you. So it's uninterrupted. So bye, my dear. <laughs> try to do that. All right. Say bye. I'll see you in a few. Um, <laughs> now, I'm gonna, good dad. now I'm going to attempt to turn around and, and finish this. Um, so um, what we've done is we've decided for young people that we need to remove all gravity from their world and from their life. You know, my kid, my son came home from school the other day and just showed me a picture of a screenshot of a whole symposium they did on if somebody says something and it's a joke, but it doesn't feel like it's a joke, how should you feel and what should you do? And what if the person said it was a joke, but your feelings are still hurt? And it's like, hey, uh, 
we're, we're taking astronauts, we're putting them up in the space station for six months, and they're losing all their muscle mass and bone density because they're living in a zero-gravity environment. You've got to get some gravity in your life. That's going to be some bumps and some bruises, some people who disagree with you, some criticism, some critiques. How the, how the hell are we going to grow? This, this self-esteem movement and trying to raise these kids in a terrarium so that, you know, no out. And it's all up there. It's the same physically. It's the same with your immune system. You know, wear double mask, wipe everything with Purell, um, wipe down every counter, disinfect everything. You're making weak kids. You're making them biologically they're weak with the immune system because now they're allergic to everything and hay fever and all that stuff because there's nothing to push back against. There's nothing to fight against. And that's what's happening psychologically as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thought that, you know, she was somehow victimized by one person yelling something at her or she needed to share her trauma with this audience is really indicative of that mindset. You're exactly right. Like, We've all had people get in our faces, public figures or not public figures. You've had somebody undermining you or calling you a name. And most of us just try to stay classy, forge forward and not take it on. Just do the job you've been paid to do. Um, only like this set of new age victims and victim lovers wants to make a thing out of it. Yes, I've been victimized. Let me tell you how it makes me feel. Let me tell you what it brings up for me and the places that it took. Just could you just play tennis? Just get back on the court and play the game just like your opponent is doing, who undoubtedly was heckled to by one person? Well, all roads lead to narcissism. That's something that I've really been thinking about lately. And it's it's a very narcissistic endeavor to stop. But also, here's the thing. If I was playing tennis and someone yelled, I suck, I might stop and think, Maybe I'm not that good at tennis. Like, first thought would be, does that person have a valid point? <laughs> Second thought would be, I'm getting paid. I must do my job. I'm not allowed to stop and, and address things. As you said, I've been on stage in the middle. 10, thousand times. Yeah, I've, I've talked to, you know, how many drunken people I hear out in the audience, you know, talking to their wives or texting on their phone or whatever. Fine. It's a couple of people. And then there's 300 other people that want to see my act. So you must be a professional and forge on. It's like tennis, like a lot of these sports, is a very mental game. And the thought that she would, you know, that, that she would think it's appropriate to go over and address the crowd via microphone, the umpire's microphone in the middle to try to win the crowd back over or silence the hecklers, who I agree are rude, but it's part of sport, um, is just, it is narcissistic. It's like, why would they allow that? I'm sure your opponent, who seems like a very nice person, doesn't really want you having a private moment with the crowd right now. Her name is Veronica uh, Kudermatova. And by the way, she, Naomi was defeated uh, in straight sets. She actually hasn't been doing very well. She, of course, wouldn't play in the uh, French Open because she didn't want to deal with the press. There was another time where she wanted the rules bent for her, just for her. Everyone else has to deal with the press, but she didn't want to have to deal with them. She said that it was annoying. And then she claimed mental health. She missed Wimbledon. Although she came in third round, third round loss, I should say, at the U.S. Open. And she went from being number one to number 78 in the world. So whatever she's going through, she should 
She's working out with her therapist and not with the crowd and not with the umpire's microphone. That's my two cents. Uh, now, speaking well, of heckling. Also, yeah, just just to put a button on that. Speaking of the press, I, you know, I remember when she dropped out and everyone rushed to her defense, you know, and I think everyone is sympathetic to emotional and mental issues. On the other hand, making someone into a martyr or a hero because they pull out of a tennis tournament, I don't think that's quite the right answer. And I don't think she was served by this. I think there's plenty of room and anyone is a, who's a parent knows it for someone going, hey, get back up on that horse. Here we go. You get paid a lot of money. Suck it up. Rub some dirt on it. We got a game to play. Put some because on it. I think I right. I think she got worse as more people went, oh, my God, what's wrong? Like, oh, my God, what's wrong? Are you OK? You should sit down. So I, I don't think she was served by that. Uh, pardon the pun. Well, and, and nicely done. Um, well, and what she said originally on that whole withdrawal from the French Open and, you know, she didn't want to deal with the press was she said she found the press annoying. She said that they get in your head by asking you questions about why you can't play so well on clay. Clearly, this woman has a problem with letting her critics rent space in her head. That doesn't mean she's got a mental health issue. It means she's one of those athletes who's got to work harder with a sports psychiatrist or psychologist or what have you to try to tune out the negative haters, the doubters, which can affect you in any profession, but in particular in professional sports. It doesn't mean all the rules of professional sports have to be changed to accommodate your problem. Like you, therefore, don't have to do the press conferences and you, therefore, get to address the hecklers right in the middle of the match because you have an inability to tune them out. That's not how life works. They, they don't change all the rules just to accommodate you and this particular weakness that you may have. Part of the test of professional sports is whether you can perform under extreme conditions, a lot of stress with hecklers, with jerks in the media, all of that, right? Like I, I can see just in my role, all of that goes into it because honestly, in what I do, there's a factor of that too. You know, can I, I remember after that one presidential debate with Trump where he was most unhappy about my question on the women. Um, he was walking out of the arena. I was there doing live interviews and he, the, the, you know, the next president of the United States, he was the number one in the GOP field at the time, was literally yelling at me from 10 feet away while I'm doing the live broadcast. Megan Kelly is not nice. She's no good. Right. Like, I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> but did, did I did I fall apart? Did I say I want to address Mr. Trump right now? That's not fair. It, no, I just did my job. That's what we get paid to do. That's what, you know, that's what everyone gets paid to do. I mean, you know, roofers and, uh, you know, captains of battleships, you know, it's like you, 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 you choose a profession, you get, you get paid and that's, uh, that's how it works. Yeah. And you don't ask for a bunch of special exceptions. Okay. Yeah. yeah right. I want to talk to you right. about, um, Sam Elliott getting called the B word for making fun of this new Western and the view saying that criticism of Kamala Harris is racist. Okay, we're going to pick it up there. Don't go away. Much more with Adam Carolla. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, 
you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Okay, Adam, so um, I, I, I grabbed part of this soundbite from my pal Dave Rubin, who was going off on it on his show, which I also enjoy. And um, Kamala Harris, as you know, has been sent to solve the war in Ukraine. And uh, <laughs> um, it's not really going that well. Actually, the truth is that even the White House was like, she's not going over to solve anything. We're just kind of sending her over there. And um, she's been doing her weird cackle and making sort of weird, inappropriate responses to questions when asked. Actually, here's just a little sample of it, and then I'll get to what the view said. Listen. To know if you think and if you asked the United States to specifically accept more refugees. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) A friend in need is a friend indeed. Okay. I can first. Okay. So this time. Szanowna pani redaktor. So I will say what I know we all say, and I will say over and over again. The United States stands firmly with the Ukrainian people in defense of the NATO alliance. <laughs> Ukraine, not part of NATO. It's kind of one of the issues yeah. that they're fighting over. OK, so uh, fair game for criticism under any rational person's view. But here, speaking of the view, is um, there's a guest host and then there's Sonny Hostin responding. Listen, I don't know that it's about her laughing because I agree. I think that would be very inappropriate and that that's something that they do to women. I think that she has gone on multiple occasions a little bit underprepared with with some of the questions that she's been asked. Lester Holt asked her a pretty basic question that she couldn't answer. So I don't know if it's a staff thing. She's not prepared enough. Perhaps she's not expecting the questions. I don't know what it is, but I think that's the issue. This is like the fourth or fifth time. What it is is that they constantly question the qualifications of black women, and that's why people are saying that she's unprepared. And oh, I disagree. I think she's You can disagree, but that's woman. the truth of it. And so this is based in racism. This is based in misogyny. And we're talking about a woman that has extensive experience um, abroad, extensive experience as an attorney, expensive, extensive experience as, as <clears throat> the chief legal officer of, of our, one of our largest states in the country. And I, I think this is just much ado about nothing. I mean, we didn't talk about Vice President Pence's, uh, the right didn't talk about his handling of the COVID ep- epidemic, which I think, or the AIDS epidemic, which I think led to, you know, thousands and thousands of deaths. And what we, what they're talking about is, is, is her laugh. She was there um, as an emissary, really, and she wanted to reassure the NATO allies that uh, ru- that as Russia steps up its attacks on Ukraine, that the United States was going to be supportive. In fact, she's in, I think, Bulgaria right now. She is prepared. She is seasoned. Um, abroad, she, she gets wonderful marks across the board. But this is just something that I think happens to women and especially black women. Adam, your take on it? Well, look, uh, I, don't, I don't get the rule. So are the rules that so we're not so we can elect someone to the second highest uh, or appoint someone to the second highest office in the land. And then if she speaks gibberish, but is black, then we can't have a critique of that person because that's that's racism. So uh, according to Sonny Hostra or, or however her last name is pronounced, we, 
Hostin were not allowed to critique anybody of color, no matter how poor their performances or whatever the stakes are and whatever they're pointed to. Because that's not, it seems like those are her rules. Yeah. Well, what she's saying is that, in, I guess, that in particular, you know, the cackle, the response, the, the response to her weird laughter at every turn, you know, it happens to women. Mm-hmm. You know who it used to happen to? Hillary Clinton. These are both politicians who put themselves out there. And if you have a weird cackle or like a knee jerk response of laughter to difficult or tense situations as a politician, people will see a pattern and you will get mocked for it no matter what you have between your legs. Yeah, I I concur. But it's also this, you know, it's so let's just look at it. as a more of a macro than a than a micro here which is so we're in this era where you can announce um as a feeble old president joe biden i'm going to make the person that's a heartbeat away from the oval office i am going to pick a woman of color so i'm 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 not going to choose the person that I think is, you know, best suited to run the country. I'm going to narrow it down to this group. And then I'm going to nominate that person or I'm going to have that person be my VP. And then if she's incompetent, whether it be Ukraine or the border or her crazy answers, you know, Lester Holt asking her if she's been to the border and her saying, I've been to the border and then switching it to um, we've been to the border we've. and then the most, it, what, but you know what, you know what people don't really drill down on, on that particular exchange with Lester Holt is she said, she sat down for an interview. So, sorry, we're just listening to the ladies from the view. And she, they said, maybe she's not being prepared well enough for these interviews. Mm. She did an interview with Lester Holt and he said, have you been to the border? And she was completely flummoxed. What kind of preparation does that take? <laughs> you, I mean, you, you bet you, you to, haven't. Yeah. So, but here's the thing that was most telling about that. He said, have you been to the border? She said, you know, we've been to the border. Then you've been to the border. But the most telling part about that is at the end when she said, and I haven't been to Europe either. And then she went, I don't get what this is. Like, what what are you saying? Like, I'm confused. You're confused by a reporter asking if if you've been to the border when you were made the border czar. You shouldn't be confused by that. She's not up to the challenge. But the new rules are will we will appoint someone based on their gender, their sexual proclivities, their heritage, whether they're man or woman. We'll do that. And then if they don't perform, you're not allowed to critique them. Mm-hmm. That's basically what the ladies from The View think, which is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, that's true equity. You can get the job because of your skin color or your lady parts, but then you are inoculated against any criticism because you get to play the skin card or the gender card whenever anyone tries it. So it's a both a sword and a shield. It works out so perfectly. But by the way, it only works if you're a Democrat. Just FYI. Don't try that if you're a Republican. 
By the way, the sh- the sword and the uh, shield is a good kind of euphemism for the man parts versus the lady parts, <laughs> as, you th- as I think about it. <laughs> the shield, I don't, I'm going to leave that alone. I had something to say, but I'll, I'll say it privately to you and or my husband <laughs> at another day. Okay, okay, let's I'll, move on. Um, before we leave the news entirely, can we just spend one minute on this? Uh, MSNBC, appar- apparently, according to Keith Olbermann, was trying to hire him to take over for the semi-retiring Rachel Maddow. I mean, she's semi-retiring, but she's getting $30 million a year, so it's a pretty good deal. Um, she's just not going to do her nightly show every night. She's going to do, I don't know, documentaries or something nobody wants to watch. Um, so she's, her show's up for grabs, and Keith Olbermann is on the record now saying that I was in talks for that. They wanted to hire me, and the only reason the talks fell apart uh, is Rachel Maddow didn't want it. He was her mentor. But this guy, he's been fired. He was fired by MSNBC. He was fired multiple times by ESPN. He was fired by current TV. Um, He keeps getting fired over and over. And they actually were getting ready to put him back on the air. Apparently, she's the only reason it didn't happen. Yeah, I always try to think about guys like Keith Overman, like from a psychodynamic standpoint, because he says things that are insane, but he's clearly bright. Yeah. I mean, he says things that are insane, but he's not a dumb person. You know, I'm curious. And maybe COVID has made me think this way, like epidemiologists, doctors, politicians Mm -hmm. doing patently insane things and saying insane things and wanting America to do insane things but yet clearly educated and clearly bright and clearly articulate. It's kind of scary, isn't it? That there's so many smart people that say dumb and insane things out there. Yes. Well, being smart is no requirement to getting on MSNBC. That's obvious. Rachel Maddow is smart, but completely misled her audience for two years over Russiagate and never took any responsibility for it. But, you know, we talked earlier in the program about this What's her first name? Anyway, her last name's Cross, and she it has a show on the weekends. And she was um, she was c- criticizing Kamala Harris for going to Poland because she says it's full of white supremacists. Right? So, so that's the Cross lady. Then there's Joy Reid, who's out there, you know, every other night. Everything's through a prism of race. We can't feel for the people in Ukraine because that's our that's our white supremacy uh, identifying with white people. So this, I mean, the MSNBC lineup. Can you imagine Keith Olbermann, these other two gals? Nicole Wallace, the fake Republican who's still trading off of the, you know, stint she had under the, under the Bush administration in which she gave us, um, you know, Sarah Palin. Uh, just the, the network is collapsing. Its ratings are terrible. And there's a reason why. And to the fact that this is linked to the NBC brand and they do nothing about it um, says a lot about the, the mothership as well. Yeah, you wonder if a lot of these people in these news outlets, first off, they have no ability to pump the brakes or to even push in the clutch. It's always grab the next gear and speed forward. You know, three years of Russian collusion. And then when the Mueller report came out, that was your time to pump the brakes. That was the time to be intellectually honest. That was the time to try to reconnect with your audience and say, you know, we do the best we can, but sometimes we make mistakes or even, something like ivermectin and cnn and sanjay gupta you know go ahead take one for the team 
just pump the brakes. Let yeah. us know there's some intellectual honesty going on in your head instead of going right back on the air and talking more about ivermectin being horse paced. It, it, it's why they're losing their audience. People don't believe them. I work with a lot of young people. I say to them, if you heard something on CNN or MSNBC five, eight, 10 years ago, would you believe it? And they said, of course. And then I said, what about now? And they said, no, I'd have to go investigate. Yeah. You know, if I heard the can't say gay or ivermectin or whatever COVID news, it's like, I'd have to go online and, and figure out what was really going on. That's, that's, exactly that's right. a bad sign for a news for a news organization. That's a bad sign. Yeah. I mean, it used to be and I, I'm not sure, but it used to be we didn't want to be misled on facts. We might want might have wanted to get our worldview affirmed by the cable news anchor we listened to. But we didn't want to be misinformed on the facts. Right. You'd want to hear them argued by someone articulate on your side, but not have fake news shoveled at you all day. Uh, and we are well past that point. Uh, OK, let me let me shift gears and because I want to talk to you about what's happening with Sam Elliott, like the ultimate cowboy uh, in American media in American you know, films and so on. He's gotten into some weird fight with this very well-known director, Jane Campion. And uh, the story, as I understand it, let me see, I'm gonna check my notes here. OK, so she directed Power of the Dog, a Western film on Netflix in 2021 which has been nominated for 12 Academy Awards. Sam Elliott, again, he's like the Western guy. He went on Mark Maron's WTF podcast and was asked if he had seen the film. Elliott said, you want to talk about that piece of, and I can't say the word because I'm not swearing for Lent, doing very poorly, but trying. And here's just a bit of what he said that led to a fight with her. That's what all these cowboys in that movie looked like. Uh-huh. They're all running around in shaps and no shirts. There's all these illusions of homosexuality yeah. Yeah. throughout the movie. Yeah. But what the is this woman from down there come? Oh, New Zealand. New Zealand. Right. Know about the American West. And why the does she shoot this movie in New Zealand and call it Montana? It's good. This movie. And say, this is the way it was. So now she fires back Adam saying, and by the way, he did say she's a brilliant director, uh, but she fires back saying he was being a B-I-T-C-H. She actually spelled it out. That wasn't me. She said, he's not a cowboy. He's an actor. She says the West, the West, <laughs> the West of the mythic space. <laughs> the West is a mythic space and there's a lot of room on the range and it's sexist, she says, of him to do this. She said she flatly views this as a slight against her as a female artist because there are others who have made westerns in places other than Montana, like in Spain, were men. And she said, I consider myself a creator. I think he thinks of me as a woman or something lesser first. And I don't appreciate it. So she played the woman card. Thoughts on it? Well, <laughs> I mean, Again, sort of circling back to Kamala Harris, like you're going to put yourself into these powerful positions. You're going to speak into microphones or create art. And then if people don't like what you're saying or don't appreciate your art, then it's because you're a woman or because you're a woman of color or whatever that is. It's, it's untenable. So mm -hmm. it, it, it simply means 
uh, if you're a director or if you're the vice president, you just do whatever you want to do. And nobody can, you know, take any umbrage with any of your work, your art, or any of your stances or what you've said into a microphone. Um, and then it'll all be blamed on that. I've, I've you know, I've, and, and look, I don't know if they believe it. They've been convinced to believe it or they're just playing a sort of card that's convenient for them. But I've always said as a white heterosexual male, my, my ultimate Dr. Drew is calling me on the other line, by the way, (laughs) the ultimate, uh, the, I'll I'll call him later, but the the comforts him in, he'll have thoughts on this too. (laughs) The ultimate, I mean, the ultimate white privilege is just never thinking someone is saying something about you because you're black or because you're female or because you're homosexual. Um, I can assume that if you don't like my work, it's because you don't like my my work. It's a slippery slope. They will find it everywhere if they're looking for it and they're all looking for it. So that's that's this woman. This director, Jane Campion, I mean, she you're exactly right. And there's further evidence of her seeing everything through the gender card, through her the woman card. Um, and she she got herself in trouble after this mix up with with Sam Elliott because she was at an event and Venus and Serena that back to them, they were there and she started off by saying, you're awesome, Venus and Serena. But then she kind of played the woman card and like how tough she's had it in her industry versus in tennis. We have it on tape, don't we? Yes, we have the soundbite. Let's play it. Here's what she said that now she's getting hit for. You know, Serena and Venus, you are such marvels. However, you do not play against the guys. (laughs) Like I have to. Okay, so she, now she's got a one-up Venus and Serena, who actually have played against guys many times in mixed doubles. <laughs> Hello, um, she's she's stronger. She's got it. Like, look at me. I've gone up against the man in Hollywood and made it. And so somehow, I mean, like then she later had to apologize. Of course, now she's mortified at what she did because she's getting all the blowback. But that she can't take off the lenses. Everything's about gender. Well, not only that, but I mean, you know, first off, all roads lead to narcissism. It's like, you know, every time Oprah gets up there and says, you know, basically, look how successful I am and look what I've had to overcome as a female, as a female of color. Well, she's really just saying, I beat you guys on foot race with a sprained ankle. Essentially, look how much better I've had to be. Look. Um, I, I work in Hollywood. I have to deal with Netflix. Um, what do you think? I, here's a hypothetical. If there is a piece of work, a documentary, a Western or whatever it is, and, um, Netflix has their choice between a director, um, middle-aged heterosexual white male or female of color, they're going to give the nod, the female or the female of color single time and twice on Sunday. That's the town we live in. So this notion that she's had to do battle over, you know, with males 
to get, you know, her Netflix deal or her next next Netflix project. I would argue that it's quite the opposite. You get you are immediately pushed to the front of the line if you are something other than a heterosexual white male. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. So it's like historically it may not have been the case, but present day we all know the truth and they're not even making films i mean i have i know somebody who's in this industry who's been pitching shows and so on and this person has told me you can like don't even bother pitching a show or an idea unless you've got uh like the main one of the main characters has to be black there has to be a gay character somebody has to be trans like you've got to have all the woke boxes checked um, and if you happen to be a white guy doing the pitch, you better go in there with somebody who's, you know, connected with some more, you know, traditionally marginalized group. I mean, it's absurd. Right. So it's like, OK, I get it. It may have been a struggle. But like where we are today is you have a much better chance of getting your films made than some unknown white male. We all know that. Um, anyway. OK, so, Adam, it's been a pleasure going with you on your family journey. And uh, I hope yeah. you're. Hope you're safe. Thank you for squeezing us in in the middle of a busy day. Uh, I love doing your show. I love you. And uh, it's always a pleasure. And I'm sorry for the family related snafu. But I think I think we made lemonade out of lemons. Nailed it. Uh, It's always great Uh, to be continued into the next time. Okay. well, you think that covid's over, right? It's like finally the Democrats are starting to relent on it. Guess again, because in New York City, They are still mandating masks on toddlers, okay, on toddlers. And New York is not alone. In L.A., they just announced they are not taking down the mask mandate on the school children for the rest of the year. They're insane. Coming up next, a dad and a lawyer who's fighting back in court. An interesting lawsuit. We'll tell you about it. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Children in the country's largest city can finally go maskless if they're five or older. (laughs) That's right. Toddlers are still toddlers are still being forced to mask up in New York City. The mayor says it's about science and protecting our babies. But my next guest says enough is enough. This is absurd. So he and other parents are suing now to end the so-called toddler mask mandate. Words I never thought I'd have to utter. Michael Chessa is a dad and an attorney, and he is the man behind this lawsuit. Michael, how you doing? Thank you so much for being here. I'm good, Megan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good for you for doing something about it. I just had my one of my good friends who's been as outraged about the mask mandate as you and I have. She's a New York City mom. You know, that we celebrated the fact that our kids got unmasked. And the first thing she said to me and I said back to her was, well, we can't forget about the littles. We can't just forge on without the littles, the ones who are 
who need these things the least. You must have been infuriated when you heard he wasn't lifting it for them. I was, you know, my, my wife and I were devastated. It, it, it's and I'm not exaggerating. I think if you know parents who have kids and they want the choice to send their children to school without a mask and it means something to them, like it does for so many of us, when Mayor Adams announced that he was lifting the, the mandate for everyone but the littlest, we, we, were, we were actually devastated. We really mm -hmm. were. Right, because it's so easy for people to, outside of New York to be like, well, pull your kid, you know, don't send your, it's like right. the damage right. being done to kids from having no school at all is severe too. They're, and it's not that easy to just, oh, I'll just find a new job and I'll move away right now. You know, it's, it's not that practical. Of course, and, and you know, it, now that I've gotten some engagement on Twitter and social media, there's also this line, oh, what about active shooter drills or what about the war in Ukraine? You know, people throw these things at you as if as a parent, every single day, your child walking out of your house is not maybe the most fundamental, important thing in your life. So it's 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 a silly game. Um, but, you know, we're, we're we again just want the choice for the parents. Right, Megan, we're not talking about anti-mask bills. We're not talking about banning masks. We're talking about parental choice. Right. It's your it should be your decision. What's best for your little one. So what, tell me about your family situation. How many kids and how old? So I have uh, we have three kids. I have a 15 year old son, a three year old daughter and a two year old daughter. Um, mm -hmm. So we kind of have a mixed uh, situation that happened when the masks came off my my 15 year old. And yet I had to send my three year old to school. Mm -hmm. um, we've been frustrated the whole time for the past couple of years. We've, we've gotten to know parents who are in our situation through some great advocacy that's going on in the city. You know, Barry Weiss wrote an article you may have seen called Revenge of the COVID Moms. Um, I, I'm living that article. I don't need to read Barry, but right. I like <laughs> There you go. Um, so we've been working with and, and kind of advocating for behind the scenes with a lot of parents who feel the same way as we do. Um, it's, it's something that is so fundamental to a kid's life and to think that my three-year-old for the past year hasn't seen any of her teachers' faces in full, hasn't seen her friends' faces in full, and is still there right now as we're talking, sitting in class all day with a with a cloth mask on her face. It's it's infuriating. So you know you hear this a lot. They don't complain. You know, they oh. they don't they're not complaining. It's the whiny parents who are complaining. And I thought you've you've been making a very good point on this on this um, argument. Yeah, thank you, Megan. It, it, you know, at the beginning of my career, I was a prosecutor at the Brooklyn DA's office. And when you deal with children, uh, they trust adults. They are compliant beings by nature. They look to us for guidance. They don't come out questioning things that we tell them to do. And having been a prosecutor, I've seen children suffer some of the worst harms you can imagine, and they don't make a peep, right? They, they go about their lives because that's the nature of a child. So those arguments, that, that it's one of them that just the, the hair in the back of my neck stands up. Yes. Really Inability does. to give voice to their distress does not mean there is no distress. Yes. Perfectly put. It's, 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 it's infuriating. It's maddening. Um, right. Exactly. And they just want to keep looking at us and telling us that they know better. It's like, great. You do you when it comes to your kid. That's the beauty of our society. I have a different judgment. But Mayor Adams, you know, now he everyone has such high hopes for him. Um, he says this is this. This is the science. This is what's prudent. He gave us a big lecture about how this is what's prudent. Let, let's hear a little bit about this um, soundbite. Uh, Debbie, you know, the one that we were just talking about. 
about following the science. Number six. That's why it's so important to follow the science and listen to the doctors, because when you looked at um, those under five, uh, they were they were more likely to be hospitalized. And, uh, it, you know, I say people wanted to say, let's lift it across the board. But that's not what the science was showing us. And so I know some people are concerned. I would rather people complain against me uh, than having losing my babies in our city. We got to follow the science. The science states that uh, that age group cannot be uh, vaccinated. And they have an, among children, they're some of the highest hospitalization rates. So we have to save our children. Your reaction to that? You know, Megan, there's a lot of different ways to, to react to that. <laughs> One of them is that it, just in terms of the science, because that's what we're talking about right now. If you separate out the ages of zero to one years old from the hospitalization rate that Mayor Adams is, is talking about, you find that the hospitalization rate of two and up, up to five years old, corresponds exactly with kids who are five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's the same, which of course is infinitesimal, which we all know. Mm. Kids that are younger than one, anyone who's had a child knows that if there's a, a fever, you may bring that child to the yep. hospital, right? You, see, exactly. you get a doctor's involvement much sooner than you do when the kid turns one years old. So the, the, the science on that is off. And, and it's not only off, you know, just look at the rest of the world, right? Look at the WHO it, look at other states, look at other cities. The, the science is just not there for Mayor Adams. And, and frankly, it's, it's, a, it's confusing. It's confusing to parents. Uh, and I think it sends a terrible message. It really does. And he's talking about five-year-olds and up as though they're universally vaccinated. And, right. and you know, that's the difference. Those, those kids are eligible for the vaccine and therefore they don't need to have the mask on. That's a lie. The, the Very few people have actually chosen to vaccinate the five to 11 crowd. Right, right. And that also goes to the arbitrariness of this toddler mask mandate, which we've we've called it. Uh, the, the, the child that's four and the child that's five, vaccinated or not at five, interact at school, they pass in the hallways, and yet there could be a couple months difference with the four-year-old in a mask all day. Right, exactly. So it, what what is it about the magical age of five? They just blame it on the vaccines. But it's like, the point is, even when they turn five, if you look at the stats, 70 percent of the parents are going to say, no, I still don't want them to get to get the vaccine. And then right. if the child gets covid and a lot of them have already had it, um, they're probably nothing's going to happen to them unless they're immunocompromised. Right. It's like and if you have an immunocompromised three year old, then don't send them to group school. Of course. And, and, and before now, with that catchphrase, immunocompromised, which has become a term suddenly everyone knows about, which which none of us even heard till a couple of years ago. If you have a, a, the tragedy of an immunocompromised three year old, then you've been dealing with a life that is different than all of ours for a long time. And you always will have to, frankly. And it's sad and it's terrible. But it doesn't mean that the rest of our children um, should be a mask all day at yeah. school. Have to suffer for it. That's exactly right. So what about let's talk about the lawsuit, because you're, you're a lawyer. What's yeah. it based on that? That Eric Adams, the mayor, doesn't have the power to do this. So our lawsuit is does not focus on the science at all, even though I think a lawsuit that did would be viable, certainly yeah. and, and successful. Our lawsuit focuses strictly on the constitutionality of these city mandates. Right. There is a lawsuit right now that a great attorney, his name's Chad Lavalia, we've worked together in this case, filed in Nassau County against the state. 
And he won that suit, if you've been following it, at least in the state courts. It's now an appeal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it challenges the state mandates under the same framework, which is that these are mandates issued by an administrative agency. This is a, a, a situation where we have children in school being regulated by what is really a law that should be passed through the legislature. It should go through the city council. There should be public hearings. There should be parental involvement. There should be experts who are available to testify in, in, the, in the hearings. This isn't something that some administrative agency of unelected officials should be able to pass that affects all of our daily lives. That, that's the basis the, of the suit. In the Nassau case, um, they said you issued this mandate after your emergency powers expired. And therefore, by any standard, even if you were granted those powers lawfully, they were over when you issued this extended mask mandate. So this and they and they won at the trial court level. And then she, of course, sued to say no, you know, and now it's on appeal. Um, but she's right. lifted the mask mandate for now, you know, but it does need to get resolved because the, I'm sure that she'd love to bring it back on the first wave of the next variant. But what about in with respect to the mayor, you know, the emer- like he has his own emergency powers. This is why New York City parents have to deal with not only Kathy Hochul's whims, but Eric right. Adams feelings about masks and so and so many layers to get through. Does he do you have a similar argument that his emergency powers uh, expired? Well, they, they should have expired. Right. I mean, it's it's kind of high school social studies 101. You, you can't live under a permanent state of emergency under, you know, to have the separation of powers. That is the bedrock of our democracy to not have a, a, a person in power who has autocratic abilities in terms of policies like this. So, yes, it's the same argument that the, the emergency uh, situation in the state of New York should not be carrying over um, in perpetuity to give the mayor this kind of of power. Uh, You know, in the spring of 2020, it was a different story, right? But we're we're far, far beyond that. And um, the fact that our kids are living under this this mandate that the mayor thinks he should just have the ability to use forever uh, is something that they're going to have to answer to in court, Megan. Now, he says, hold your horses. Uh, I'm doing this sequentially. So I took the masks off. It's so infuriating to even talk about it like this. You don't control my children. Don't tell me you did me a favor by taking the mask off my second grader. You know, it's like that's his right to have his naked face out there in the world. It's not some benevolent gift you gave to us. But okay, enough about me. Um, But he says I'm doing it in phases. Here's the soundbite. I'll let him put it uh, the way he did, which is soundbite 10. I made it clear we're going to do this in waves. The first wave is to lift the masking of our children that was K through 12. The second wave, we will go to our children that are uh, four, of uh, uh, under five. It would be irresponsible of me to do it all at once. Now we're going to see after lifting, do we have a spike? If we don't have a spike, we're going to lift for your babies as well. What do you make of that? You know, what, what's the spike that he's talking about? What, 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 is, what are the metrics that the mayor or the Department of Health or whoever else in city government is looking at to make these decisions? Parents are just left sitting at their computer waiting for the email that's going to come that, like you say, we should act like we're grateful for. You know, what we need is a clear bill introduced to the city legislature that says 
when the cases reach these levels, when the hospitalizations reach these levels. It needs to be something that we, we have some sort of public engagement on. So we're not just waiting for another uh, press conference from the mayor to, to declare whether or not there's been a, a spike. You know, I, and last time I checked, that wasn't, you know, medical terminology that, that we should be, you know, putting the daily lives of our children in the balance of. No, it's a good point because they refuse to set the criteria openly for when when can the masks come off? When what what are you looking at? They won't because it's really just gut on their part and quote science, which we all know you can find an expert to say whatever you want. And they have. So what happens now? Because I noticed one good thing about your lawsuit, which does need to just like the Nassau case, it must continue even after he lifts the right. the mask mandate because he's going to try it again there. You can't stop these Democrat politicians from they love their mask mandates. So um, what you're getting some support. It's not just like you against the world. I saw 20 oh, top early education programs in New York City signed a letter calling mm -hmm. on him to end masking. That's good. Um, so where does it stand? It's, has it actually been filed? And what procedurally is how is it going to play out? We filed last week. And what we asked for is what's called the TRO, Temporary Restraining Order, as you know, um, which is where we're asking for the court to make a prelim preliminary decision and lift the mandate. Because our argument it is every day of the week, every moment of this child's life, that they go to school with the mask on, they're still enduring this injury, this, this inability to live an open and free life. And the parents are suffering too. Um, so the court is gonna make that decision tomorrow we have uh, oral arguments tomorrow afternoon in Richmond County, the courthouse in Staten Island. They'll make a decision just on the TRO, just whether or not, based on the submissions that we filed last week, we're going to be granted a lifting of the, the, the mask mandate. Um, regardless of that decision, there's going to be a briefing schedule where the city can answer. The court will hopefully give us time and a chance to respond to the city. And then a decision will be made in maybe a month or so uh, as to the full merits of our lawsuit. Mm -hmm. Which, of this, course, like you said, is, is making sure that they can't do this again. What we want yeah. is a change in the uh, uh, policy itself. We, we want the courts to say the city has to go through this legislature. This is inappropriate for the Department of Health to pass a regulation like this. This is not over until these lawmakers are reminded that they are not kings. There is a legislative process and there's a reason for that, because lawmakers up and down the line, both at the top of the executive branch and in the in the legislature answer to us. We get to fire them if they do things we don't like. And so it's not OK for the mayor to, with the sweep of a pen, just change lives. Right. It's like we get to fire him eventually, too, which he needs to bear in mind. But there's a whole group of people who need to be held accountable if they sign on to this madness. I, I admire your tenacity. I'll give you the last word. Uh, yeah, Megan, I was just going to say that there's a reason that, you know, I've spoke about this with lots of people. And it's something I think that should be important and of value to people, even if they don't have an opinion on masks on kids, even if they're for masks on kids. What we're talking about is the separation of powers, is making sure that elected officials are not given free leeway to pass whatever regulations they want without being held accountable by the public, without involving the public. Um, and we want that so not just for this case, but in every case. Amen. Michael, good luck. We'll follow it. Thank you, Megan. One of the best. And I want to tell you before we go that Carol Swain is coming back with us for an in-depth conversation tomorrow. She has lived a fascinating, fascinating life. 
We had her on for a brief time not long ago, and I was like, we've got to do a profile of Carol. That's tomorrow. In the meantime, download the show and subscribe on YouTube, and we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.